My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Heather Jarvis, Alice, and Layla. Several years ago, some feminists in St. John's, Newfoundland, recognized a major gap in the province. There was no organization working for the human rights of sex workers. So these feminists at the St. John's Status of Women Council and Women's Centre, the oldest women's centre in Canada, began the process of founding the Safe Harbour Outreach Project, or SHOP. SHOP's work is based on three principles. Self-determination for sex workers the power of harm reduction, and the pursuit of social justice. When SHOP started its work three and a half years ago, it was very deliberate in not starting with an already established vision for turning these principles into action, beyond a commitment to engaging in a process of building relationships with sex workers in as many parts of the city and areas of the industry as possible. In this way, the work of SHOP was shaped by what sex workers themselves identified as their needs and aspirations. One important aspect of what emerged from this bottom-up approach involves doing a great deal of individual support for sex workers. This support can be with anything from transportation, to filing taxes, to court appearances, to medical visits, to navigating income support bureaucracies, to finding housing, and much more. This support is never predicated on forcing sex workers to make particular kinds of choices. Another important aspect of the work involves education and advocacy in a range of settings. There are many misconceptions about sex work that dominate media and popular understandings of it, prominently including, though far from limited to, the mistaken tendency to conflate consensual sex work with the quite distinct phenomena of sexual exploitation and human trafficking. There is also intense social stigma about sex work that is incredibly harmful to sex workers and makes their work and their lives far more difficult and dangerous than they would otherwise be. Much of the education and advocacy happens in the context of the sorts of institutions that shape people's lives and can regulate people's access to the resources they need to live. Institutions from police to healthcare to social services have long histories of treating sex workers very poorly, in part because of the misconceptions and stigma already mentioned, so SHOP does lots to work with such institutions to improve their policies and practices when it comes to interactions with sex workers. And finally, SHOP is also working towards a broader agenda of human rights for sex workers. They're part of the Canadian Alliance for Sex Work Law Reform, a coalition whose member organizations across the country are pushing for the decriminalization of sex work. Today's guests lay out why that approach is a crucial first step to reducing stigma, improving safety, and allowing for better access to human and labor rights for sex workers. Heather Jarvis is the program coordinator for SHOP. Alice is a sex worker who has been in the industry for nine years, and she currently manages the Studio Aura Adult Massage Parlor in St. John's. And Layla has been a sex worker for 13 years, and she currently works as a dominatrix. They speak with me about the realities of sex work and about the Safe Harbor Outreach Project. 
we spoke by Skype to phone from St. John's, Newfoundland. My name is Heather Jarvis, and I am the current program coordinator for Safe Harbor Outreach Project, also known as SHOP. We are the only sex worker advocacy program in all of Newfoundland and Labrador. We were actually started about three and a half years ago by the St. John's Status of Women Council and Women's Centre. And interestingly, the St. John's Women's Centre is the oldest women's centre in all of Canada. So three and a half years ago, SHOP was created and it has continued to grow. And I'm very fortunate today to be joined by two women who are currently working in the industry. Hooray! Yay! Yay! I am Alice. I work in the industry. I manage a local adult massage studio, and I've been in the industry for nine years on and off now. I am Layla. I am in the industry. I am a dominatrix. <laughs> I've been in the industry on and off for about 13 years. A little bit more about Safe Harbor Outreach Project. We support a wide variety of people. In our last three and a half years, we've connected with over 175 different participants, mainly in the St. John's area, but definitely across our province. And our values are simple. Our mandate is that we exist to advocate for the human rights of sex workers. And our values, we believe in the self-determination of sex workers and sex workers being in the driver's seat in terms of what they need and what their experiences are. We believe in the power of harm reduction, and we definitely believe in the pursuit of social justice. So I first got involved in the local sex industry when I was 19, and since then I've worked at three different locations of adult massage studios. Where I'm to now is Studio Aura in St. John's, and we identify as a female-owned and operated feminist sex-positive workspace. We try to encourage everyone to grow in their own way and try and empower our staff as much as possible. We work with a lot of people who are transitioning from one area of sex work to another area or sometimes out of the industry. We've had people get degrees here, start businesses, you know, save up to buy a house, all different things. People come from all walks of life. And it's important to recognize that everyone has their own story, I guess. But I got involved in shop two and a half years ago, it would have been. Actually, I went to shop for legal advice, and they were incredibly helpful, and then I started as a volunteer. Huzzah. And Leila, what about you? I got involved with you guys less than two years ago. I didn't know about shop until I started working at the studio, and now it is one of our most important things that we always tell all the new people that come here, all the new ladies. They're usually really kind of lost in life, <laughs> I guess to say. So yeah, we direct them to shop. They're so thankful to have this kind of support because a lot of these ladies don't have family support or an extended community or anybody really to help them. So just letting them know that shop is there to help them specifically is really important for them. Shop is the support network locally. It is. It, it's it's it like is. our family. <laughs> and, and, and what they do, like especially starting out with minimal funding at the beginning, what they do is so huge and means so much for individuals. We're talking changing people's lives. We've had people who are living in shelters, who are, you know, substance abusing or in difficult relationships, single moms, all sorts of things. And Shop is always, always solidly there to support these people. Tell me about the founding of SHOP. So there was a recognized gap 
in our community. There were already a few limited resources, but specifically supporting people with experiences of sexual exploitation and human trafficking, which happens, and there needs to be supports for that. However, there really weren't supports for people engaging in consensual sex work in any level of what that looks like at the street level, working indoors, working in adult massage parlors, strip clubs, or working independently. So there was a recognized need and gap. So the Women's Center started this program, and not entirely surprisingly, nobody really wanted to fund it. So after a lot of advocacy, SHOP actually got off of the ground by one individual woman philanthropist donating $50,000 and saying, get to work, start something. So that's how SHOP ran for its first year, with one staff member working part-time. And this program, it didn't start from the ground up saying, we already have a structure, we are already laying out programming, this is what we offer and this is how. It started from nothing, and it started by doing outreach and connecting with sex workers locally across different levels of where they were working and asking sex workers what they needed. And from there, the program developed. So what we do is based on what people have asked us to do, what people have said they need. What that looks like on a day-to-day basis is a lot of individual support, a lot of sitting down sometimes, visiting with people, going to people's homes, coming to the studio, having a chat, building relationships, and then also a lot of system navigation and referrals You know, these systems that we have set up in our world are confusing and difficult and have many barriers. The legal system, the court system, finding housing and sometimes emergency shelter, working on income support or trying to file your taxes when you're a sex worker, trying to access food banks, trying to get around our small city, which has not the greatest transportation system. You know, whatever it is, people needing to figure out how to navigate these systems and we're there to help. About two years ago, for the first time after a Lots of shouting. We were able to secure provincial funding for the first time. And we went from one part-time staff to two full-time staff. And that's where we stand today. So our two full-time staff, we do a lot of picking people up and going to appointments, doctor's appointments, healthcare specialist appointments, court, taking people grocery shopping, you know, whatever people need. We've helped people get ready for first dates. We've hung out with people and their kids. We've accompanied people to funerals when their loved ones die, met people's family members. You know, we do what people ask of us. I think it's important to recognize also the uniqueness of this organization. Other, I guess, resources locally that do exist are not as sex work positive, and we get that. Like, some people are trafficked or exploited or in dangerous situations, but shop being able to meet women where they're actually to and recognizing that we don't need to be told how to live our lives. We or don't need to be told. Saved. Yes, we don't need saved. to be saved. <laughs> you know, we're choosing this. We, we have some really strong, intelligent people, right? Everyone is being met where they're to. And I think that's really important because shop wants to be there for people rather than be there to push people in a certain direction. I think that's really, really important. I think the trust you've built up in the community with especially people who are sex workers are not very trusting oh my God. Of, of anything, really. So just the amount of trust you've built up in the community is insane. I could never have imagined this like 10 years ago. How has SHOP gone about doing that outreach? From the beginning of SHOP, it was a long time just consistently showing up and being there not there with an agenda, and not there often to even talk, just showing up and listening and meeting people and actually taking the time to build relationships, connecting with the shelters 
in our city, including sometimes going to the dinners that the shelters might have, especially the women's shelters. It included reaching out to a lot of our community organizations and building a relationship. So part of what we continue to do is connect with our clean needle exchange program because some sex workers use drugs and some sex workers don't. But being able to be there for people who are in more difficult situations if they have untreated mental health and addictions, sometimes you might meet them at a clean needle exchange program. So we connected with that program, went out in a van distributing supplies. We connected with a street outreach program to go and literally with backpacks of supplies, walk the streets and meet people, going out to the area of our city where street sex work happens and just letting people see our face and seeing we were there and seeing that we weren't there to push them in one direction or another, reaching out to incredible massage parlors like this one and meeting people, sometimes for coffee on neutral territory first, and then being able to just come and hang out and talk. And then a lot of referrals have trickled from there. A lot of people passing on our number. We also go to the only women's provincial prison in all of Newfoundland and Labrador once a month to sit with women, to let them meet us, to explain who we are and what we can help with. And we've also done a huge amount of advocacy and education because we know that there's a lot of misconceptions around sex work. A lot of people think sexual exploitation and human trafficking and sex work are all the same thing, and they're really not. I was once told by a sex worker, sex is to rape what sex work is to sexual exploitation. Yes. 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 We would never call them the same thing, and we can't call them the same thing. We must recognize the real violence that does happen and recognize when people have the autonomy to say, whether I like my job or not, this is work for me, and I deserve rights, and I deserve labor protections, and I deserve to be treated with respect. We've trained members of our provincial police, the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary, We built up a relationship there where we have a Royal Newfoundland Constabulary liaison officer, a woman who can come meet people in plain clothes on neutral territory if they need it. We've trained legal aid attorneys and Crown prosecutors when sometimes they set up conditions for people through the court system that they think are very well-intentioned, but we see the harmful consequences of it. We've trained nursing students and medical students and social work students. We've gone into welfare offices and trained their frontline staff. Because sex workers are everywhere in our city. They are a part of every community. They're a part of immigrant and migrant communities, LGBTQ communities. They are women and men. They are a part of higher income communities, lower income communities. They are nurses who work part-time on the weekends. They are people who bag your groceries, who are then working at a strip club. Yoga teachers. They are yoga (laughs) teachers. And so it surprises people when we go out and we do education that we remind them that they are, in fact, encountering sex workers yes. everywhere. Hearing us and holding space and harm reduction are, like, the main key points. Because you can try and advocate for sex workers all you want, but you have to hear them first. And to do that, you need to hold the space and grow the rapport with those individuals. And Shop's done that. Talk more about the kinds of misconceptions you encounter about sex work and about the people who do it. People just assume you're stupid. Yeah, it's the assumption that there maybe are no boundaries or or we're we're stupid or we're easily manipulated or we all do drugs or we're unable to keep our lives together in one facet or another. But that's just not true. It's not true. Most of us run businesses. We own our own houses and cars. I mean, we're involved in the community. We have children. We're pretty normal people. 
And we pay tax. We pay tax on us. <laughs> so I think the greatest misconception, which we already touched on, is just the conflation and the expectation that sexual exploitation and human trafficking are the same as consensual sex work. That's an incredibly harmful misconception, and it hurts everybody. It hurts people who are the true victims of sexual exploitation, and it hurts people who are doing consensual sex work, because it's telling people that their story doesn't matter, that they're being spoken for, and that everyone is a victim. And that extends further to the idea that everyone who does sex work is a victim that just needs to be saved very much in the vein of kind of the pretty woman narrative that, you know, if a woman just had enough money and a man swoop in or a social worker or a police <laughs> officer, then they would never, ever consider doing this. And that might be some people's reality. Some people's reality is they don't want to be doing sex work. It's something to get them by for a period of time, much like a lot of other shitty jobs. But for some people, this is what works for them. People are not just victims. People should be asked what they need, not told what they need. And there's a lot of other misconceptions that sex workers, another big one, are sex workers are vectors of disease, that sex workers are health problems, that sex workers are high risk and, you know, sexually and physically somehow diseased and sick, which is filled with so much stigma. Sex workers are some of the most incredible sex educators I have ever met. I think in any way we're safer because we know what's out there. We're the experts. We're the sex experts. And sex workers have been instrumental internationally in shaping conversations around how to truly prevent HIV spreading and how to truly prevent hepatitis C spreading and what kind of campaigns work and what ones are just judgmental and are actually making people not show up to learn how to be safer in their sexuality. And, you know, we hear a lot from sex workers when they're accessing healthcare professionals and doctors that if they ever identify that sex work is part of their experience, all of a sudden all of their healthcare needs are put through a lens of it must be because you're a sex worker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing we continue to hear, which you can hear from every sex worker advocacy group across Canada, is one of the biggest issues that sex workers identify impacts their life is stigma. Yeah. Yes. When somebody you know finds out what you do, they don't look at you the same way. <laughs> when your specifier is something like Alice, that girl who runs the massage studio, that's what you do now. That's, 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 your, my, that's, label. Label. that's yeah. my label. It doesn't matter that you do other things, you have other jobs. Yeah, that's not cool. When we have external stigma, when we have so many other systems that won't listen to sex workers, every single media article almost entirely is about sex workers from a very paternalistic tone and almost never includes the words of sex workers, which are very available through Google. <laughs> <laughs> so when we have so much external stigma, Sex workers themselves can't talk about some of the internal stuff that's happening. And when people can't talk about what's going on in their lives because they just think everything will be chalked up to, I'll just be perpetuating the stigma that everything is bad, it's very silencing and it's very isolating. What kinds of things is SHOP involved with in terms of working towards improving laws and policies and practices when it comes to sex work and sex workers? From an international perspective, there are many international organizations and bodies that have recognized sex workers need to be heard and valued and are members of communities, and that what sex workers need under a legal model is decriminalization. From the WHO to UNAIDS to Amnesty International have recognized that sex work needs to be decriminalized internationally. We are connected to a network of sex work projects internationally. We share information. 
We work collaboratively when we can across hundreds of cities around the world. And then more on a Canadian level, SHOP is a proud member of the National Alliance for Sex Work Law Reform. That network is very cool and very fierce, and it's 28 sex worker groups across 17 cities in Canada. So we advocate for decriminalization, for policy change individually across our member groups. We try to connect with MPs and political representatives on the ground here. And sometimes when we are trying to make sure that sex workers are genuinely consulted on policy creation, we're able to put forward great names, great voices, so that when people are saying, well, we couldn't find anybody to consult with, we can say, oh, we have lots of recommendations for you. And then more locally, we recognize that it takes so many community partnerships to do the good work that we try to do. So we have partnerships, as I said, with our local provincial police. We connect with the local shelters. We're connected to organizations supporting youth that go up to the age of 29 or more, which, you know, are actually adults, including a partnership with a group called CASI, the Coalition Against the Sexual Exploitation of Youth, because we recognize that sexual exploitation does happen. We also have a strong partnership, as I mentioned, with the local needle exchange program. Interestingly, we have a strong partnership with the Anglican Church, who has been really incredible. Many members of the Anglican Church have really recognized that their calling under their belief system is to go out into the community and serve people, to truly serve people and meet them where they're at. They recognize that this is our work in shop. So they helped get us our own confidential space in an Anglican Church building across our city for free. So these partnerships are everywhere. And, you know, even the partnership with this studio, Studio Aura, We're able to trade our resources and hear from them about what they need. And finally, one of our really amazing partnerships is with our Newfoundland and Labrador Sexual Assault Crisis and Prevention Line, our sort of rape crisis line. That's province-wide, available 24-7, like many places. But we've been able to house a bad date line with them. So we call it the Warn Other Workers Line, the WOW Line. And again, 24-7, night and day, 365 days a year, people can call this line and anonymously, confidentially leave information about any bad clients. And sex workers themselves use the language of bad clients. Whether somebody has shown up really under the influence and are pushing boundaries, or a client has shown up and not paid, or a client has become physically or sexually violent, it's a way that sex workers have helped keep each other safe for centuries by sharing this information. So these calls are able to come to us confidentially, anonymously. And when people call in, they also have the opportunity to speak to a trained volunteer for support on that line. And for us, this really legitimizes the sexual violence and the physical violence that sex workers do face because so often it's not taken seriously or it's seen as just part of the job. Nobody needs to expect violence in their workplace, no matter what. So it legitimizes that violence does happen and it's not okay and it can fall under this is sexual assault. Lay out for listeners why decriminalization is the best option. So if we think about the laws around sex work or what's commonly referred to as prostitution, there's four models. On the one end, there's full criminalization. Everything about it is illegal and considered a crime, both the people working and the clients and everything about it. Then we move further down the continuum and we have partial criminalization, which in fact is what Canada has right now. Canada has something that's called the Nordic model because it follows Nordic countries out of Europe. And this model might be well-intentioned, but it's incredibly harmful because it suggests 
that everybody engaging in sex work is actually just being exploited, no matter what. It sees everybody who's engaging in sex work as victims who need to be saved and rescued. So the law comes from a place currently to say, well, we don't want to arrest the women who we see as victims, but we do want to end the demand for quote-unquote prostitution. So we want to make it a crime to buy sexual services, not sell them. So it criminalizes clients, but it actually does more than that. It's much more complicated. The laws in Canada are tangly. It actually tries to also criminalize third parties or people who are being paid and living off of money made from sex work. And from the good intentions place, that can mean we don't want bad brothel owners. We don't want quote unquote pimps. But what that looks like in reality is sex workers not being able to hire a driver to keep them safe or a security guard to keep them safe or sex workers not being able to live and work together to help keep each other safe because then they're both seen to be a third party also living off of the money made from sex work. And those are the realities that we see and we hear. Since the laws changed in Canada in 2014, sex workers nationally have continued to say that these laws are putting them in so much danger and they're in fact taking a greater toll on sex workers than they are on the clients. Part of sex work, including consensual sex work, is still against the law. So when the clients, the people who are buying the service, are going underground and forced to go underground, the work has to follow. Women have to follow. Sex workers have to follow. It's incredibly dangerous. So that's where Canada is. And if we move further down, then we reach decriminalization. Decriminalization is taking the criminal aspect of sex work or prostitution out of the law. It's just making these things that were a crime no longer a crime. And what that can look like is now you can work, you can live. That's decriminalization. If we move further down the continuum, then we reach legalization, full legalization. And a lot of people say, well, why not legalize it? You could make all this money and tax it and it would serve the economy. But again, legalization gives a lot of power and control to government to regulate the industry. And the government has shown that they're pretty terrible at listening to the true needs of sex workers. And what we all fear that will look like is, once again, the most vulnerable people working and doing consensual sex work, people at the street level, people who are currently using drugs, people who don't have access to services, will continue to suffer the most. So decriminalization takes the criminal aspect away and allows the other laws on the books to do their good work. We already have laws around age of consent. We already have laws against sexual assault and physical assault. We have laws against robbery and theft. We have laws against kidnapping and confinement. We have laws against sexual exploitation and human trafficking. So these laws can do their work and do their work better if we stop criminalizing consensual sex work. We need autonomy. Yes. Yes. You have been listening to my interview with Heather Jarvis, Alice, and Layla about the work of the Safe Harbor Outreach Project. To learn more about it, search for Safe Harbor Outreach Project on the sjwomenscenter.ca website or on Facebook or Twitter. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.